Hey, thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. All right. Good morning. Good to see you guys. A lot of Mahomes fans in the room here this morning. That's clear. Hey, we are unified this morning around Jesus and our love for the Chiefs. That is so clear. And uh, so pumped about the Super Bowl later today and really, really honored to be with your community. Um, like David said, I was here a couple years ago, fell in love with, uh, with your community. I've known David and Renata for a number of years, and they've become very close friends. And uh, we were at their home for uh, dinner on Thursday, and, and we were talking about the nations and missions. And David just began to share his heart about his longing for this community to be connected to the nations of the earth and this passion for prayer, for youth, and for missions that you carry as Radiant Church. And I, I told him, I go, well, bro, whether you like it or not, then I'm going to be your missions pastor. And uh, you can't really fire me because I'm really not going to let you hire me. So you're not, you can't pay me, so you can't fire me. But So whether you like me or not, I'm your new missions pastor. You might end up hiring someone else later, but I'll still be your missions pastor, self-proclaimed. And uh, so uh, we're, we're going to go on a journey together. David and I are dreaming together about what does it look like um, for communities of strength like yours, communities of discipleship, evangelism, impact, communities that carry vision and carry the presence of God uh, to also step into the fullness of being a community of sending and sending to the nation, sending to the nation. What does it look like to step into that full evangelistic and missional calling that the church has? And this is a community of strength. I love your values, your vision, your passion for discipleship. This is what America needs right now, amen? And uh, this is what the world needs right now. And, uh, and we're passionate together to see the church step into the fullness of sending as well. This church has an inheritance in the nations of the earth. This church has an inheritance across the country as well. And my goal this morning is real simple. Um, I want to give us courage for the hour we live in. I, my desire is that we would be filled with great hope for America and for the nations of the earth. My goal would be that you wake up on Monday morning, no matter how that Super Bowl goes, though I think we all know how it's going to go. In Jesus' name. Uh, <laughs> But that no matter how it goes and no matter what headlines we're greeted with on Monday morning is that nothing could steal our courage and nothing could steal our hope. That in the midst of the shaking, the Lord is declaring the harvest is ripe. And uh, if you've uh, done any study of church history and revival and reformation history, you will not have to look far to find that the greatest seasons of shaking became the greatest seasons of harvest. It was in the darkest times of our nation's history and many of the darkest seasons in the history of the, of the earth where revival broke out. It was right before the layman's prayer revival in 1857 that, that the enlightenment was going across the earth. Deism was growing and the philosophers of the day were saying, in America, Christianity will cease in one generation. 
They were saying, they were prophesying in their own way that in one generation there will no longer be Christians in America. How many of you know they were totally wrong? We're evidence of that this morning sitting here in this church and they didn't know that in 1857 revival would break out across America that would lead to two million salvations in two years. Not through a single known preacher, not through a single known one church, not through a single known celebrity. It was the everyday believer being caught up in faithful filled prayer and walking in simple missions and evangelism. And in two years, two million Americans came to faith. Guys, God's about to do it again. In the shaking that we feel all around us, the crisis is perhaps like never before, is it not? I don't know, if, you, if I asked you in 2019, be like, hey, is it urgent in America, like that we have a move of God? Every one of you would have been like, oh, it's urgent. Then 2020 hit, and we realized our 2019 urgency was like kindergarten urgency. We were sponge painting, and now we're like, okay, now it's really urgent. And 2020, the acceleration of some of the enemy's attempts to quench the voice of the church, to stop the growth of Christianity, may, maybe went to all-time highs, and then we longingly looked forward to 2021. When will 2020 be over? And then literally the first two weeks of 2021, we were like, can we go back to 2020? <laughs> And you're like, the level of insanity, the shaking, the crisis all around us, and yet in the midst of it, God is raising up a people that have hope bigger than the crisis. God is raising up a people that can see a God bigger than the shaking all around us. A people like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's the year King Uzziah died, which is a year that Israel was shaking. He was, a, this says, the last leader that led in the heart of David. And as he is passing on and the instability with a major change of a king in Israel's time, it's the same year that the 10 northern tribes go into captivity because of idolatry. That's the year that Isaiah is talking about. That's that's the year. And in the midst of it, it declares, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe was filling the temple. And the angels were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this is what they said. The whole earth is full of his glory. How many of you know that the earth didn't look like glory to Isaiah? How many of you know the headlines of the Jerusalem Times weren't reporting glory across Israel in that day? But God was looking for someone who could see him bigger than the crisis, that could see heaven's perspective more than earth's perspective. And out of that came a great sending movement as Isaiah was launched with the word of the Lord into the nation. And I believe we are in that hour right now. In the shaking, God is waking up and giving strength and courage to the glorious, beautiful bride. And out of this shaking is gonna come a faith that the enemy can't touch, a faith that crisis can't shake, right? We are becoming unshakable in our shakable times, right? In the shaking, God wants to shake everything that can be shaken so that what remains are a people of faith, a people of hope, and a people of courage. That's the hour we're in right now. And I wanna share with you a little bit just of what is happening even on a global level. And then we're going to jump into the scriptures as we kind of land some thoughts today. But I just want you to know on a personal level, even through David and I's friendship, we're committed to serving this body and serving this church to step into its full missional calling in the nations of the earth. And I believe you have an inheritance in the nations. And uh, I want you to know right now that you're not going to find this on CNN or BBC or Fox or wherever you go. But uh, we are living in one of the most unprecedented harvests in human history right now. In fact, just this morning, and these, I have small examples and I have big examples, but just, uh, sorry, yesterday morning I was texting with one of our leaders living in Central Asia, 
He's only been there a month, and he's working among a people group that have, uh, have never had a church in the history of their people. There's never been a gathering of believers in the history of this people group. They moved out to a remote town. His wife is a midwife, and they're just serving these people. So this lady comes in pregnant, meeting with his wife about delivery and all of that. And as the conversation goes on, she, the, this, this person from Central Asia realizes they're believers and begins to confide in them that she is a secret believer. She goes, I'm actually a follower of Jesus. And she goes, there's about a dozen of us in this community, but we have never met. We've never been baptized. We've never taken communion together. And as they continue the conversation, he texts me yesterday and goes, Andy, for the first time in the history of this people group, we are gathering, we are planting a church, we are baptizing them. They're taking communion together in the history of this people group for the first time. That's the hour. You're not going to find it on the headlines, but it's in the headlines of heaven today. God is on the move all across the earth. Something absolutely outrageous. If I were to ask most of you to guess where the fastest growing population of Christianity in the world is today, I don't know if many of you would say that it's Iran. Iran literally today has the fastest growing population. Second to Iran is Afghanistan. Friends, these are unprecedented hours we're in right now. If we just said 20 years ago, you were trying to find a believer in Afghanistan. 20 years later, it's one of the fastest growing populations of Christianity in the world. Behind Iran and Afghanistan would be places like the Himalayas and Nepal. It's unprecedented. We are living in great days of harvest. You're the first generation in human history to wake up in the morning where every nation on earth for the first time, has a radical, sold-out remnant of believers. Every nation, not every people group, but every single nation. And that is for the first time in 2,000 years. Now we're getting out of bed and we're reading all kinds of crazy headlines. My friends, look beyond the headlines. God is on the move in 2021. And this is, again, is unprecedented. And I work with Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, and he's so fun to work with because, you know, people will be sharing and especially at missions gatherings, they'll say something like, there are no known believers in the Maldives. And Lauren has been to every nation on earth. And he'll say, well, that's interesting. I was there 20 years ago and led 10 to the Lord myself. And we planted a church and they're doing just fine. And then someone will say, there's no known believers in Libya. And they'll go, I, he goes, I snuck into Libya in the trunk of a car. I met with five different house churches. They're just doing fine. And you realize for the first time in history, friends, please let the weight of this hit your heart with courage. For the first time in history, every nation on earth is worshiping Jesus. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting for these days. That's one finish line, and there are many to come because we live in the day where for the first time in history, every single people group on earth We'll be worshiping Jesus. You realize that by the year 2033, this is 12 years from now, we'll begin translation of the last language on earth having the Bible for the first time in human history. The gospel message being able to be translated to the last language on earth by the year 2033. This is Matthew 24, where you actually find yourself in the text. I don't know if you've ever read text and you're like, dang, that's now. The gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to all ethnos. That's every language group. And my friends, it's on our watch that this will be happening. It's right now. 
Despite the headlines, despite the shaking going on, God is on the move and it's happening everywhere. So we've spent the last number of years of our lives focused on these places of the earth, but I want to share a little bit of a story that about five years ago, or I should say even longer, about 10 years ago, God began to grip us for America as well. He began to show us that he was not done with America and that this great awakening that's going to touch the earth is that America still has an inheritance in it. And how many of you believe today God's not done with America? How many of you believe that Sin doesn't have the last say in America. How many of you know that Jesus has the last say in America? And we, God began to grip us for a heart for America's role, not only in another great awakening, believing that Generation Z might become one of the most sold out generations in human history for Jesus, but believing that America's role in the Great Commission is far from over. There has never been a greater sending nation in history than America. In the midst of all of our weaknesses and all our immaturities as a nation and all of our mistakes, there has never been a more generous nation in human history than America. And America's role, not only as an awakened nation, but as a sending nation, is far from over. In fact, we began to gain a conviction it was just beginning. And that the greatest awakening America had ever occurred, had ever occurred was actually in front of us. And that the greatest missions movement out of this nation was just in front of us. We began to go on this journey with a number of other leaders, believing it was a coming time for the re-evangelization of America. And I don't mean just, um, you know, big crusade meetings. I don't mean like uh, just evening meetings every night. I mean every believer being activated to share the gospel like never before. I mean the hero of the story being the local church. I mean 16-year-olds believing their high school is a mission field. I mean everyone who goes to work seeing their marketplace as a place to glorify God and help others understand the Messiah and his love for them, right? When every believer in America rises up and goes, to be Christian is to be missional, we will have awakening. When every believer simply rises up in the joy and the courage of their evangelistic calling, then an awakening is on the way. And I believe it's that time in America. We gather together with a number of leaders asking the question, is now the time in 2018, believing something massive was coming to America. Out of that conversation and those prayer times, we committed ourselves to do something that no one movement or organization could do. Something bigger than our brands or our, our, our movements or our organizations, but something that could touch the body of Christ as a whole, as a nation. And in 2019, we felt the Lord speak to us that we were to rent this stadium in Orlando, Florida and launch this movement called The Send. I honestly went towards Orlando wondering, would anyone come? Would this work? Would we end bankrupt and totally like this would be over in, in, in you know, one year? We were so in over our heads, had no idea what we were doing, but just moving forward in faith. I was as shocked as anyone when 58,000 young people filled that stadium, the Camping World Stadium, two years ago in, uh, in Orlando. And my friends, I was shocked as God was faithful to his promise and his word. Two remarkable things happened that day that we were believing for. Number one is that everybody that came would truly encounter the living God. And I mean like not processed God, not homogenized, pasteurized God. I mean raw God, like life-changing encounters where we see him as he truly desires 
to be seen. Like to see him in his power, his beauty, and his glory. And we watched as thousands of people encountered God and the testimonies would flood in for weeks, months, and to this day of the impact of those encounters. But we were also not content unless we knew and believed that those encounters would lead to real activation. We gave an opportunity for people. How many of you are willing to actually go to the nations of the earth? And all of this was tracked through like text-in systems and robust follow-up. And that day, 5,300 people said, God, I'll go to the nations, any nation you call me to. Train me and send me. Out of that day, thousands committed to engage in the foster crisis in our nation. Thousands. And to this day, almost every week, I get a testimony of a family that is adopted or a family that is engaged and has foster children in their home. My friends, we're redefining missions. It's not just Afghanistan. It's our own neighborhoods. It's our own communities, right? Thousands of kids committed to see their high schools as a mission field. Out of that, dozens of Jesus clubs were started on public high schools by high schoolers reaching their own generation. Truly an activation occurred that was beyond just the remarkable encounter, but led to real action, real missional living, and the testimonies were remarkable. Some of my favorite were two guys. They don't even know each other. They both wrote us emails later saying, in the middle of the worship time, I heard the Lord speak to me, and I heard this word. I didn't know what it was. Nepal. These guys didn't know their geography too well. And, uh, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know it was a place until someone got up later and started talking about the nations and mentioned Nepal. And they're like, oh, that's a place. And both of them are on their way to Nepal long term. There were so many remarkable testimonies. One of my favorites I'll share real quick. A week after the sand in Orlando, uh, someone emails us, goes, hey, I got to share this with you. I was on a fly. I came to the sand and I was flying to Dallas after the Orlando the next day. She goes, I'm sitting on the plane and uh, just, you know, and whatever, just thinking about everything God had done. And all of a sudden, while I'm sitting there, someone stands up in the front of the plane, turns around, gets the attention of the whole plane, and very humbly, an older man, very, on uh, a lot of humility and a lot of kindness, just gets the attention of the plane and shares his testimony with everyone on the plane that can hear. And she's stunned. She's like, what in the world is happening right now? And at the end of it, you know, a few people were like, wow, you know, you heard, heard a couple, like, there was a couple, like, uh, Dallas believers in there, like, amen, brother, you know, and just shared this testimony about how God had rescued him from a really broken past and, and how Jesus had saved him. And she's like amazed. She's never heard this on a plane until she all of a sudden, someone in the back of the plane, a lady stands up, emboldened by the man, I guess. She, real humble, she begins to share, I was homeless, I was drug addicted years for years, and then years ago I met Jesus and he set me free, and now I've had a job for years and I have a family, and I just wanna tell you, Jesus can set you free. And then she sits down and this person writing us is stunned now. What, what the heck? Two testimonies on the same flight, and a third person stands up. And the third is a military general, says I was in battle, I was shot in the neck, and I was laying on the ground dying and I cried out to Jesus and he saved my life and he saved my soul. And he says, I travel around the world giving hope of salvation to soldiers now. And he goes, that's what I do with my life. Sits down and the whole plane breaks into applause, shouting, amen, Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. I made up a word. And, uh, 
And she says at the end of her email, and she, was, she doesn't know if any of them were to send. It just happened on the flight. And she goes, my whole life, I have believed for another Jesus movement in America. But now I believe it is truly happening. Now is the time. The harvest is ripe in America. Now, after... Uh, after Orlando, we asked the Lord, where do we go from here? And he spoke to us clearly about Brazil. And just very briefly, this part of the story, and then we're going to land in the scriptures, is uh, as we went to Brazil, we were nervous. Again, over our heads, what does God want to do? We rented a stadium by faith that was big. It held 70,000 people. Um, and, and eight months before the event, we opened the registration, going, God, just please move in this nation. Brazil is the second largest mission-sending nation in the world. And Brazil has truly been in about 10 years of spiritual awakening. It's astounding what's happening there. And so we rent this stadium, and we get a call from the stadium six hours later, and they go, uh, we don't know what happened, but the stadium is completely sold out, every seat. And we go, what? We go, check the system. They go, we did three times. We thought it must be broken. It's not. It's sold out. And this has broken the record for the fastest the stadium has ever sold out. We're like, what? Well, who held the record? He go, well, it was six and a half hours. And it was U2 and Coldplay that held the record. We couldn't believe it. God was filling stadiums for the Great Commission faster than the biggest bands of our day could. Guys, this is the hour we're heading into. We didn't know what to do because it filled up so fast, so we rented a second stadium. It filled up over the weekend, so we rented a third stadium. And a year ago, almost to the day, we gathered in, our, in Brazil in three different stadiums across the nation with 150,000 Brazilians all wanting to be activated in their missional calling. Three million joined us online. And I tell you, I saw things I didn't know if I would see in my lifetime. The way the power of God moved in that stadium. The average age was 24 years old. This was the next generation of Brazilians. And that day through our app that where they literally had to, they could select mission fields so that we could follow up with them and train them and send them. A hundred thousand Brazilians made commitments to the nations, to reach their high schools, to start clubs on their universities, to adopt children out of the brokenness of the orphan sector in Brazil. It was stunning. A hundred thousand missional commitments. And I tell you, friends, this has nothing to do with the send. This has nothing to do with well-known names. This has nothing to do with an organization. This is the hour we live in. This is the hour on the clock in the nations of the earth right now. And the last part of this story is that throughout all of this, after Orlando asking God, where is next? God began to speak to us about Kansas City. He began to speak to us about the significance of this city. And we began to learn more and more about the history, about the years of faithfulness. We began to learn more and more about all the remarkable movements and churches and leaders and believers in the city. And I tell you, I've never been more confident of anything we've done on this journey than the significance of this city touching the nation and touching the nations of the earth. I didn't even know. I remember seeing the Arrowhead Stadium for the first time, went on a tour as we started to move this direction. And and I walked down the big tunnel, and of course, it's on the, on the tunnel there, it talks about the, the loudest decibel that's ever been recorded was recorded in Arrowhead Stadium. And it says, loudest stadium in the world, which I was told, you know, that Seattle broke the record, and then Kansas City went no way, and then broke the record again. 12th man's got nothing on Kansas City. And uh, I saw that and thought to myself, wouldn't it be like God? 
that the, that the record might be broken and the loudest human sound in history would be heard for Jesus and not just a football team? Could it be that in a global megaphone, it's the loudest stadium in the world, that a global sound for Jesus would be heard so loud that a whole generation would have to respond? That's what we believe this city is carrying. I felt the Lord showed me that Kansas City was like Gideon's army. It may not be the size of Los Angeles. It might not be as big as New York. It might not have the infrastructure of Chicago, but Gideon shows up with 300 men. He gets the breakthrough, and because of it, all of Israel gains courage. Could it be that what happens in this city is meant to give courage to the whole nation, that the headlines might say chaos, but the Lord is saying harvest? Could it be that in Kansas City, there's something in this city, a history, a faith, a people that are carrying something so zealous, so sold out that when it's released from this city, cities across the nation go, Kansas City is doing it, we are doing it. And could it be that the sound of the sand arrowhead, the sound of what happens in that stadium would reverberate across the nation and the nations of the earth to see some of the greatest progress that's ever been made in the Great Commission in this city? hour. Could this be the time, friends? Are you with me? Do you believe it? Do you see it? Do you see what God has deposited in this city? Do you see the faithfulness of the churches and the leaders? There's something so special that is in this place, and it's not just in a few. It's in the heart of every believer. Look at the person next to you and just tell them it's in you. Tell them it's in you. Give them crazy eyes. Tell them it's in you. This deposit of zeal, this deposit of faith, it is in you. Now, I want to land this in the scriptures, and I want to land this concept, this missional heart of God that I feel like we've seen for decades across the earth, that I feel that we're seeing in America like never before, that I feel like we saw in Brazil as 100,000 raised their hands and said, God, my life is yours. I'll go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. That as we've dove into trying to understand a little bit more of what is this missional heart of God, I feel that he has spoken to us about the unique love that moves the people from faithfulness to a missional life. The unique love that moves someone from I love God to I love the world around me. That moves someone from I, I am faithful in God, I am growing as a disciple, to here am I, send me. And the love that I think that makes that difference is something that I would refer to as adoptive love. And this journey really, for us, began in our family. We have six kids, as was said. Does anyone in here have six kids or more? Oh, come on, bless you. More? Let's just everyone stretch a hand out right now. We just pray, great grace, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, not too many of you. <laughs> Usually winning in that category in every room that I'm in. And, uh, and two of our children are adopted, four are biological, and it has been one of the most remarkable and life-changing journeys for us because it's taught us something about the missional heart of God that I would refer to as adoptive love. And this is it. Jesus looked down at the earth, he looked down at the brokenness, the sin, the sickness. He looked down at the anxiety and the fear and the hatred. And he looked down at it and he said this to himself, I didn't cause an ounce of this. I didn't cause an ounce of this sin. I didn't cause an ounce of this sickness. I didn't cause an ounce of this hatred. None of these things are in me. This is the result of sin and fallenness. I didn't cause an ounce of this, but I will take responsibility for it. And now think about how many of your parents in this room, how many of you want to be parents someday? 
And you, parenting, you know, you have this goal as a parent. Your, your dream is if you could just get your kids to take responsibility for their actions, right? Think about how many times you said that as a parent. And if you get there as a parent, you're, you've arrived. Your kid could be 10. And if they take responsibility for their actions, you're like, I'm done. I am totally done. Go to college. Get a career. I'm done. I've arrived. I have discipled you. You actually cleaned up your own mess. And as parents, we're like, we did it. We're the greatest. We actually made responsible humans. And that's like the great goal of a parent, right? But I want to propose to you that taking responsibility for your own actions is the entry level to maturity. And that real maturity is achieved when we begin to take responsibility for someone else's actions. Jesus looked down the earth, go, I didn't cause it, but I will fix it. I didn't cause the brokenness here, but I will take responsibility for it. I am not the reason that the woman at the well has had five husbands, but I will become the reason that she drinks the water that she never gets thirsty again from. I'm not the reason that man was chained in the tombs, the demoniac, rejected by his community and written off as ever being able to be restored and healed. But I will become the reason that in one conversation he is set free. I am not the reason that the world is full of sin, but I will become the reason that sin can be broken and everyone who believes in me can have freedom. Adoptive love led Jesus, led him to a place to go, I didn't cause it, but I will take responsibility for it. This is the missional heart. This was Hudson Taylor a couple hundred years ago, looks at China. He goes, I didn't, I'm not the reason China's lost. I'm not the reason that China is in poverty. I'm not the reason that this is a place that very few people outside of China want to go because it's too hard. I didn't cause it, but Hudson Taylor said, I will take responsibility for it. And aren't you glad that Hudson Taylor took responsibility for China because today there are 110 million Christians in China. And actually there are more Christians in China than any nation on earth right now. Why? Because Hudson Taylor moved in adoptive love for a mess he hadn't caused to bring healing and restoration to a people so that today there are more believers in China than any nation on earth. My friends, this is the missional heart of God. In the scriptures, Romans chapter 15, Paul takes on the same heart. He says here in verse uh, 16, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. His longing is that the Gentiles would come to salvation. Verse 17, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now think about this. Paul is writing to Rome, and he's never been to Rome. He's wanted to visit Rome, but he has never met them. And actually, Romans is his self-introduction to the church that has never met him. He says, let me tell you what I really believe. You've probably heard some rumors. Let me set the record straight, which is why he lays out so much doctrine in Romans. He says, this is who I am, and this is what I believe. And he's giving him a little background here. He goes, we've never met. He goes, but in fact, I've taken the gospel all the way. He says, fully proclaimed 
from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Guys, that's like multiple nations. He goes, I have fully proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, into the Balkans, and all the way to Illyricum in Greece. He goes, I fully proclaimed the gospel. So he goes, so now I think I might come see you for the first time. He goes, but mostly so you can take an offering for me and send me to Spain, which is what he says next, because they've never heard. And you have to, I asked myself the question when I read this, Paul was driven by this adoptive love. He goes, I wanted to come see you, but Rome was one of the growing centers of Christianity. Antioch, Jerusalem, Rome, they had good discipleship. They had a good growing community. They were a community of strength. And he looked at that and said, I've always wanted to come see you, but I couldn't because there were too many places that hadn't heard yet. And he says, I, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. And ask yourself the question, what hindered Paul? Paul was hindered, not by God, not by the enemy. He was hindered by his own adoptive love. And he goes, you guys get it. You're becoming a community of strength. But in Turkey, they haven't heard yet. In, in Lebanon, they don't know yet. In Syria, they're still orphans. And my heart for adoptive love, my missional heart is driving me as much as I want to come see you. You already know the truth. So I've got to go where they don't yet know. And his adoptive love hindered him from visiting Rome out of his longing to see orphans come back to their father. Astounding what was in his heart. And then he goes, I am finally coming though. So you can take an offering and send me to another nation that has never heard. And I think God is putting this prayer into the heart of a generation. I've seen it everywhere I have gone the last number of years is that God is putting this prayer of Paul and it's this, God hinder me from safe Christianity. Hinder me from living in my own comfort and send me to the people that are longing for the good news of Jesus. And that sand might be a neighborhood right down the road. That sand might be the foster care system of your city. That sand might be North Africa or Central Asia or South Asia. That sand is wherever God might lead you as we become a people who declare, God, hinder me and send me. Hinder me from missing anything you're calling me to. Hinder me from just enjoying my life when there are so many that have yet to meet their father. This became so real in our own family. Um, my, my kids are right here. Raise your hand, guys. Um, most of them are. Some are, are out. I don't know where they are. Because, like I said, I lose count. But, uh, we had this amazing privilege, Chanel on the end. Chanel, raise your hand. She's adopted and she's so proud of it. If you come to my house, she's like, nice to meet you. I'm adopted. She just loves it. And then Makana, raise your hand right here. She's adopted. She's our beautiful. She brought some culture to the family. She's Hawaiian Filipino. Praise God for some culture in our family. We needed it. And, uh, and, and these are remarkable, beautiful young ladies. And I remember well, Chanel had been adopted for a number of years. She, she was adopted when she was three years old. I'm guessing by the time this story, she might've been five or six. And you gotta know the assignment over a child's life who doesn't have parents is rejection, that they would never know their identity and they would never know who they are. That's the assignment. The enemy is out that a generation would never step into their identity because the most dangerous thing on earth is a believer who knows who they are. 
The most dangerous thing in human history is a believer who knows their God and knows who they are, right? So that's the assignment over our life. But as a family, we had the remarkable privilege of bringing Chanel in. Now, we were not a part of her first two years of life, yet we will be a part of the rest of her life. So we're not, we, we, we weren't a part of those first two years and what went on in those first two years. It wasn't our responsibility, but we had the remarkable privilege to take that responsibility and adoptive love that Chanel would know who she is. So a couple years fast forward and we end up taking a 15 year old from the foster care system. We're not even legal foster parents, but they call us and they go, hey, this is, this is desperate. Um, the, this young lady has threatened her own life. She's in a psych ward and we need somewhere for her to land. And we're like, dang, that's intense. And the goal was reunification. We knew that. We were, the mom needed help, the daughter needed help, but they were gonna get back together. Uh, that was the goal. And so we gather the family to pray, and I'll never forget it. My daughters, Hadassah and Rama, and we're all there praying. And I'm going, go, guys, we need to pray. It's kind of intense. And Hadassah and Rama go, we're not praying. We're baking cookies. When's she coming? And I was like, well, we're going to pray because <laughs> this is intense. You go bake. And this young lady arrived in our home. We heard the Lord. She comes into the family, and she comes to more cookies than any human should ever have in their life. And she came with natural walls. She doesn't know us from anyone, and she's coming out of the hospital, all of a sudden arrives in our home one day. And a remarkable miracle took place. This 15-year-old with all kinds of walls and all kinds of pain and all kinds of history and I watch a little girl who's five years old, who the assignment over her life was that she would never know who she was. I watch her get adopted by a family that was strong and healthy, come into her identity, and this is missions, my friend. The adopted become the adoptive. And I watched a five-year-old melt the heart of a 15-year-old who had just come into her own identity, but knew that our adoption as sons and daughters is not just so we can revel in our sonship or daughtership. That's remarkable and that's beautiful, but we were adopted so that we could become adoptive. And I watched this five-year-old break the walls down on a 15-year-old's heart and melt her heart so that she could understand who she was and come into her identity. This is missions, my friends. This is the assignment of strong churches to become sending churches. Strong communities of strength that become communities of adoptive love. And I wanna ask you to stand with me as we pray. And this heart that Paul had, I believe is gonna come become the, the heart of an entire generation. And I don't mean an age group, right? Because then we're like, well, I guess I'm not the next generation. I mean a people alive at the same time. Could it be that in the midst of the shaking, which we know the enemy's had his hand in, but how many you know God's had his hand in the shaking as well? Was there another way to wake up the church, wake me up, wake up believers across this nation than that some of our areas of life would be shaken to the core and that we would step into the urgency of the hour? My friends, it is 911 for America right now, but there is hope. There is hope in the gospel and there is hope in communities of strength, stepping into their adoptive calling, moving in missional love to go, I didn't cause the brokenness of Kansas City, but I will take responsibility for it. I'm not the reason there's 100,000 kids in the foster care system right now, but I can become the reason that a couple of them have families for the rest of their lives. 
I may not be the reason that there is one missionary for every 400,000 Muslims on the earth today, but we can change that statistic if we'll take responsibility for it. We may not be the, re the reason that there are whole regions of the world without a single, uh, even a little access to the gospel, but we can become the reason that those places are flooded with the gospel. Are you hearing the heart of the Lord this morning? There is great crisis, there is great urgency, but my friends, there is great hope to a church that will take courage and realize we are the solution. Jesus in us, in our immaturities, in our insecurities, he's not looking for perfection, he's just looking for hands that will sign up. He's not looking for people that have had 20 years of discipleship and been through this course and that course. He's just looking for believers that'll say, pick me, God, I'm in, I'm in. I don't even know what it all means, but God, and this is the prayer, my friends, it's a dangerous prayer. If you're willing to pray this prayer with me, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to in a moment. It's a dangerous prayer. God, hinder me and send me. And that doesn't mean you're leaving Kansas City. It might just mean that you're adopting something from Kansas City might just mean a new neighborhood, the foster care system, but it might be that you're in North Africa five years from now, or it might be that you live here and adopt a region of the world and going, God, I will pray and I will go until there's breakthrough. But a whole generation that would pray, God, hinder me from safe living, hinder me from my own comforts, and God, send me anywhere you need me. Send me to the nations, send me to the neighborhoods, send me to my high school as a missionary. Hinder me and send me. If you're willing to pray that prayer, I just want you to raise Raise your hand right now. Just raise it high. If you're willing to pray that simple prayer, God, hinder me and send me. Just raise your hand. Here we go. Holy Spirit, I ask right now, would you just release a fire in our hearts today? Would you give us the grace of adoptive love today? Would you give us God's missional heart today? Would you give us a heart, Lord, for the broken, the hurting, and the dying, that the solution is inside of us in the power of Jesus, Lord? So I pray great heart hope right now. I pray get great courage right now. I am Lord, I thank you for the, the inheritance in this church across the earth. And tonight, today, we put a stake in the ground, God. We put a stake in the ground for the adoptive love of Radiant Church for the nations of the earth, for Kansas City, for the nation of America. We put a stake in the ground and we declare love is on the way. Love is on the way. The gospel is on the way like never before. So Father, I pray, seal it up. Seal it up, that simple prayer. Hinder me and send me. Hinder me and send me.